Unable to guess the answer, she asked, Who am I that you should love me? You are my queen, said Eugenides. She sat perfectly still, looking at him without moving as his words dropped like water into dry earth. Do you believe me? he asked. Yes, she answered. Do you love me? Yes. I love you. And she believed him. Oh my god, and she believed him. I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. It's September 8th, 2019, and this is the Aetolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to get you through the wait for Return of the Thief, which is only 352 days. Today's episode, we're discussing the final chapter of the Queen of Aetolia. In this one, Eugenides sacrifices a goat, screams, and then passes out. Just girly things. So this chapter starts immediately after the previous one ends. There's no time jump. Mm -hmm. He's walking around the palace. He goes down to the stables where they keep the pigs and the goats, and he gets a goat from a very confused stable hand, and then he takes it to this a little used room and everybody's like giving him a wide berth (laughs) they're seeing just imagine him like running through the palace with a live animal under his arm (laughs) and it says he chanted an invocation to the great goddess deliberately choosing the one he had sung over and over in the prison cell how passive aggressive is that Ooh, like remember when i called for you and i needed you and you didn't help me here i got you this goat's blood thanks for nothing no matter what eugenides will always he will he'll take everything about three steps too far and he has no doubt that they're gonna respond to him yeah even though he has to wait for a while yeah He falls to his knees, and he puts his forehead on the bloody table. It's so dramatic. (laughs) And then he waits. For hours, he gets cold, he gets stiff. The blood cooled and dried. He went on waiting, unmoving, growing stiff and cold. And the door won't open, Mm -hmm. even though it doesn't have a lock. Yeah. And the Queen of Atolia is not surprised by that fact. Mm -hmm. So. So it doesn't take them that long to show up, the gods. They're just making him wait. To make a point. Yes. Their point is, we're not answerable to you. And the waiting is a demonstration of his faith, just as the sacrifice is. Probably more so. Mm -hmm. The scene between Eugenides and the goddesses is full of raw emotion. It's very visceral. He's screaming. He's cradling his arm. He's on the floor. It's very intense. And it's like we're at a point where it feels like things are resolving in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see that Eugenides still has all of this rage and all of this trauma. Learning in the scene that there was a divine reason for it, like not just that, you know, they were behind it and he suffered for it, but that they had a reason to do that that he can get behind Mm -hmm. and uh by the end of the scene so him knowing what the reason is i think is the seed of like now that he knows this he can start to put it behind him yeah it's a big step um the mysterious goddess says what would you give 
to have your hand back? Would you give your eyesight? Would you... Your freedom, your sanity. Your freedom, your sanity. Atolia. Would you lose Atolia? Mm-hmm. Have Atolia lost to the Mede? I mean, obviously, he was able to see that sequence of events. Um, but he wasn't able to see it. Mm-hmm. And so that this point now of of where more like emotional recovery is possible from now on is also, I guess... I don't know if symbolized is the right word, but the goddess takes away all of the pain he had in his arm mm-hmm. and all of the, um, like the blisters he had on it from the cuff. He, uh, his phantom pains are gone mm-hmm. and he thinks they're all gone forever. Are they? I guess I don't we don't know we... that because nothing's ever from his perspective ever again. Right. But I would, I feel pretty safe assuming they would be. Yeah. Yeah, and so he, he literally no longer feels his hand. Mm-hmm. And that's all related to the theme of change and the inevitability of change and acceptance of change that really comes to a head in this chapter. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, it's all throughout the book and it's uh, sewn into the format of the story. Mm-hmm. I and mean, we get so attached to Eugenides and then we have to accept that we're pulling back from him. In this chapter, the gods say to Jen, nothing mortals make lasts Nothing the gods make endures forever. Not even what is made by the gods is immortal. Which is pretty big. Yeah. And what's done is done even with the gods. They say that they couldn't give him his hand back even if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. And that no god is all-powerful, not even the great goddess. Which is very surprising for me. Mm -hmm. Like, when we think of religion. And this is also kind of implying so he sees the sacred mountain explode in a vision in this chapter so this is also implying uh the gods can't stop the volcano from blowing up yeah what even though the gods are associated with natural forces and it's hephaestus volcano right yeah like and so you would think that in the way that the arachthus uh you know, Jen can have the favor or disfavor of the river. Mm-hmm. And the river, like, tries to drown him or whatever. You would think that the same would be true for the volcano. Right. What gives? <laughs> <laughs> maybe they could stop it from blowing up, but maybe that goes into... That's another part of their plan. And that like, would also maybe have, they have consequences. A yeah. I mean, things like volcanic eruptions serve and ecological good Mm -hmm. in the very long term. Yeah. And if, you know, with Edis and Sunus hopefully going to get married didn't happen in Thick as Thieves, which I am still bitter about, but (laughs) hopefully they are already married or we will see it soon. But anyway, my point here is hopefully with them married, Edis is going to use this marriage to try and convince uh, the people of her country to all, like, move to Sunus mm-hmm. and that her marriage should convince them because she's leaving. Right now, Enos and Sunus are separate. Uh, but once Helen and Sophos, two people, get married, they won't be separate anymore. And all of the lives of all of these people will change. Maybe there is some greater pattern or power of which the gods are only a part i mean Mm. maybe that has something to do with this mysterious goddess who talks to eugenides in this chapter because we never figure out who that is yeah 
it's not the great goddess she stands Mm -hmm. between him and the great goddess yeah and he says forgive me goddess i do not know you and he she says that uh he sacrificed at her altar once but he doesn't know whether that means like a long time ago and these and then he stopped or if it was someone he only sacrificed you once like passing through so Mm -hmm. he has no idea is this a because there's the the old gods and then the new gods of the invaders but is there an an even older Hmm. pantheon interesting i was just assuming it's one of the gods of Edis, because she mentions the great goddess too Mm -hmm. and he was he moira had appeared in the scene also so yes and basically said like can't help you buddy yeah (laughs) well she she warned him against doing this you know yeah, she says, don't make demands of the gods. And he says, I can make all the demands that I want. And they don't have to answer me. Mm-hmm. But I can demand. And so it's a reassertion of free will. Mm-hmm. Even as he realizes his own insignificance. Right. He was nothing, the smallest particle of dust, surrounded by a myriad of other particles of dust, and put all together, they were nothing but dust. Which is a recurring image mm-hmm. that's going to come back idea of human beings as dust in the eyes of the gods Mm -hmm. it's really interesting that idea of human beings are dust in light of all of the hierarchy in these books Mm -hmm. and the idea of the divinely chosen monarch and the royal person who is very separated Mm -hmm. from ordinary people uh because that's so important to the daily life of these characters. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it doesn't mean any... Like, in a cosmic right. sense. Right. That is really interesting. And will that make Jen more humble? No. What could do that? I think that's a little too much to ask. So in the final scene between Jen and Atolia, uh, it opens with... Jen asking, do you love me, without preamble. And Atolia says, why do you ask? I love that. She loves me. Why do you ask? (laughs) She's still putting it off and distancing herself. Uh And, you know, kind of putting up a smokescreen. You don't know how she feels about it from that. She also, she doesn't say it in this scene. He says, eventually he says, do you love me? And she says, yes. But the words do not come out of her mouth. Mm. Oh, they do in the next book. Right, right, So right. there's just still some growing to do. Yeah, but not not yet. She's not quite there yet. <laughs> she says, um, I cut off your hands. I have been living with your grief and your rage and your pain ever since. I don't think, I don't think I had felt anything for a long time before that. But those emotions at least were familiar to me. Love I am not familiar with. I didn't recognize that feeling until I thought I had lost you in Ephrata. An idea in Queen's Thief that I think is interesting is the idea that uh, an act of violence changes a person Mm -hmm. and connects to people. Um, Like when Jen is forced to kill someone in the thief and he uh feels like connected to the person that he's killed and Mm -hmm. like he has to carry that forever and he wonders about the man's life and his children yeah and now 
uh, cutting off Jen's hand, um, it connected Jen and Irene. That bond is so strong and can take so many forms that like the sheer intensity of it is we were talking about this last episode like the uh the uneasy middle space the middle of the venn diagram of fear and love (laughs) (laughs) the uh you know the opposite of love isn't hate it's indifference Mm -hmm. uh and so just like the fact that they just feel really strongly about each other yeah (laughs) and they can like they can choose to uh have that be love almost. Mm. I think that that is one way to interpret it. Mm-hmm. That this yeah. is a this is a choice that they have made, and it's significant also that the series looks at not just the effect of violence upon the victim, but also upon the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. This is Irene talking about like this is what it did to me. Like she's obviously not saying you know I have it worse or whatever, <laughs> but. What does it do to you as a person to perpetuate violence onto others mm-hmm. is a question the series goes into with Irene, with Jen, with Costas, mm-hmm. with Sophos too, Edis, everyone, basically. Oh, I'm really excited to talk about A Conspiracy of Kings. Oh that is an underrated book. Yeah. I'm always excited to hear when people read this book who thinks that uh, this bit is very cheesy. Uh, I've never heard anyone say that. Which is another thing that comes out throughout this book. Uh, My mom thought it was cheesy. My Mm -hmm. friend Phil thought it was cheesy. I guess I can see that because when you contrast it with the rest of it... I just love the melodrama. Yeah. I love to think, like, when she goes to make her her final sacrifice at the Temple of the New Gods, uh, it says there's thunder, clouds are gathering, so I like to imagine that when his words are falling like water into dry earth, it starts raining outside. (gasps) Maybe she's crying a little, but, like, with no facial expression. (laughs) I have a very specific image (laughs) of this bit. Does she make a sacrifice at the temple, or did she just go to look at it? I think she does. Um, I don't hold on let's see because this is the temple of the invaders new gods not the adesian gods Uh, it says she lifted the heavy gold candlesticks and carefully replaced them she tilted the ceremonial offering bowl and listened to the musical jingle of the gold and silver discs carved with praise and supplications as they slid across the bottom of the bowl she walked again the length of the temple it was cold and empty oh she doesn't yeah you're right yeah she just she wanders around and she picks some stuff up and says, mm-hmm. puts it back. Nobody's home. But she does make a vow to the Adesian gods. Yes. Later saying, give him back to me and I will build you a temple on the top of the hill and you'll be worshipped as long as Atolia exists. Truly the most drama-filled heteros I have ever yes. seen. And one of my favorite lines about Irene If the longing inside of her for kindness, for warmth, for compassion, was the last seed of hope for her, she didn't know how to nurture it or if it could live. Eugenides might have all this faith in her, but she doesn't have that own faith in herself. Mm -hmm. That she's, like, worthy of love or capable. They have so many dramatic scenes in bed, too. Mm. Even, Even though nothing's from their perspective again. We still see a ton of them in bed. (laughs) 
I love that because it's so it's so ordinary and it's so domestic and it's so private. And it's a typically intimate private place, but it's still seen in public. Yeah, like they they live this weird uh, life Ooh, where the it's a mix of private and public, so that the private really doesn't exist in the normal way, and the private has to be stolen. Yeah, and secret and. We'll get but into this more. They have next to pretend. Episode, yeah. When we start the King of Atalia. <sighs> That's chapter 21 and thus ends our time on the Queen of Atolia. Next episode, we meet poor lovable Costas Romantides as his treasonous assault on the King of Atolia is rewarded with the promotion from hell. I'm so excited. King of Atolia is my favorite book. Send us your comments, questions, and thoughts. Chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com. Be blessed in your endeavors. Thank you for listening. This has been an amateur embroidery production. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, 